Well, good morning, everybody. Again, we're doing story time. This is uh, When We Met, and this is Evelyn McHugh. And uh, so welcome, Evelyn, up here. Um, <laughs> Evelyn's got a super cool family. Uh, we got Wayne over here, her husband, who we call the mayor. Um, and she's got uh, two grandchildren, but one's here, so that one's the favorite. Um, this morning, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Evelyn's so thankful that you're here sharing today. And, and I think that um, many people can relate to growing up in church and things like that. But you have a definitely a unique story. Your life, uh, you know, going to church, we know going to church doesn't make somebody perfect, right? Unless someone's thinking that. But um, you have a unique family, a unique upbringing, and you have this unique picture of what God was like. Tell me what, what was the picture of God that you grew up with? I grew up with thinking that God sat on this massive throne and he had this big stick. And every time I stepped out of what his boundaries were, I was going to get whacked. Um, I I did not know God as a God of love. Hmm. And one of your breakthroughs you mentioned here just briefly was alone in your 20s, your mid to late 20s, and you had a moment uh, that you experienced there. Tell me a little bit more, us a little bit more about that. <clears throat> we had had a, a traveling evangelist come to our church, and um, he picked me out of a crowd much like this one, and he said to me, he says, you need to sing until it becomes down in your heart the little song, Jesus Loves Me, because you don't know that he loves you. And he was right. And I remember a few days later sitting and saying, God, I wish I'd never known you until this moment in my life. Because I didn't know that he was a God of love. I looked at him as a God of wrath and a God of punishment and um, do's and don'ts and uh, a lot of man-made stuff. So between 25, <laughs> you said it and on the 69. video, and 69. Um, <laughs> I'm proud of my years. <laughs> so, so between those, uh, those ages, I mean, a lot of life happens. A lot um, of things happen. Kids, grandkids, moving, family, church, Yes. You heard a lot of sermons, you sang a lot of songs, you went to a lot of Bible studies, but you had another major moment I did. recently. Tell us a little bit about that. Last February, was it? April. April. Right we, around there. Okay, we did a uh, faith walking up in Erie, Colorado, and I had had lunch several times with Angie, and she says, I think you should go do this, Evelyn. And I went, just another one. That's all I need. What, like so, another another retreat, another, another retreat. Christian thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I said, get okay, that all the time. I'll go. So I went, and it was it was surprising um, because I began to see who Evelyn is and what Evelyn was, and then a few weeks later, a couple of months later, there was a two o two faith walking. And I thought, I'll just wait till the fall. Because summer is a busy time for me. Uh, I'll be too busy and I can't do it. But they needed one more person. 
So I said, okay. And I started on a journey that has been phenomenal. Um, I'm not completely changed. Uh, I never will be until I see the Lord. But it gave me some tools and some realizations of who I was and why I did the things that I did that were very eye-opening. I'll never forget. Because of, let me go back just a minute. Because of the way that I was raised, and I didn't realize it. In fact, for the first probably four weeks of the faith walking, they talked about vows that you had made. And I says, I don't got none. You know, and I told the guy, I says, I'm sorry. I told my instructor, I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any vows. I don't have any moments in my life where I said, I will never do that again. But I suffered with rejection that I never knew was there. I suffered with um, what I called having a servant's heart. And having a servant's heart is fine, but if you're covering up something else underneath, such as being a people pleaser, then that's not so good. And those were the things that I suffered from. And Brian asked a question one Sunday morning. What do you fear the most? And I thought, I don't know. But I went to the Thursday night uh, fireside, and Gene Wysocki asked that same question. And the first thing that popped into my head was, you fear that you're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, you were not faithful. You were not a faithful servant. And I spoke that out, and the moment it came out of my lips, something hit me. You're afraid that God's going to reject you. That's your deepest fear. And I looked at Angie, and Angie saw the light go on. It hit me like a ton of bricks that I was so afraid that God was going to say, you're not good enough. And so that vow that you made, it's interesting, this is how this works. What happens is, is that there's a lot of conversation around the idea of our first formation, the first things that we experience when we're kids that actually end up affecting our lives going forward. And Evelyn, your dad dies in a car accident. Correct. Your grandparents raise you. Correct. And one of the first memories you have is your grandparents moving away. Yes. Two weeks later, they come back, and they say, we can't live without Evelyn, which is a, a beautiful thing. Yep. But the flip side of that coin is your mom. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little, tell us a little bit about that. Well, when you feel like that your mother has given you up, doesn't want you, that's a child's viewpoint, then you feel rejection. You feel like that, what can I do to make her love me more, to make her want me? Uh, I had a loving grandparent. My my grandparents loved me. My grandfather was never the person that says, I love you. You just knew he loved you. Um, My grandmother was all about love. Uh, But those never made the substitute for my mother's love. And it was very difficult. So you carry that your whole life. Your view of who God is. Yes. A God is a God that could possibly reject you. Therefore, mm-hmm. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do all this stuff. You get involved with people, and you want them to not reject you. 
Right. So you say yes to everything. Hey, Evelyn, can you do this? Hey, Evelyn, can you pick this up? Hey, Evelyn. And your whole life is then spun around not being rejected. Right. And so when you realize this for the first time, what happens inside of you? Major turmoil. (laughs) Uh, It really was. Um, Like I said, I'm 69 years old, and to realize that all of your life, from the age of five years of age, so that's 64 years, you dealt with rejection, and you would do anything to keep from being rejected from new people that you met or those people that you already have or your family or your husband or anybody. You'd do anything to keep from being rejected. And you think you're becoming a servant, but actually what you're not is you're covering it up. And there was a scripture that really came to my heart, uh, Psalms 32.10. And if you have a new, uh, the message, this is what the one that really spoke to my heart. It says, God defiers are always in trouble. God affirmers find themselves loved every time they turn around. That is my mantra. Every time I turn around, God loves me. Not because of what I do or what I don't do, but because I'm his child. He loves me. You can hear more about Evelyn's story by just talking to her. It's a really good idea to do that. And I'll I'll warn you, though, when you start talking to people that have been changed and radically transformed, it's going to create a little itch inside of you to do the same thing. Some of you are hearing her story today, and you're like, what is this faith walking stuff? Um, A few of us have gone through it. We've spent time um, doing this. um, And... uh, Number of them, a number of folks in our church are actually in the middle of it right now. Um, it's not easy, um, and, but it's really, really powerful. This February, February 3rd and 4th, you have the opportunity to do Faith Walking 101. If you would like to, spots are very limited. Everything's on the website. And if you sign up, you're going you're gonna to enter a journey of seeing what God's going to do in your life. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But Evelyn, thank you so much. Thank you. Let me pray for Evelyn. God, thank you for Evelyn and her heart, her story. We can't not do it, cannot do it justice in five, eight minutes of just chatting here. But God, you are um, the writer of her story. The author of what you are, are unfolding in her life is so big. And God, I pray that if someone here is um, just really uh, moved by it, that they would seek Evelyn out and... Uh, partake in that sacred coffee conversation that needs to happen. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You guys give Evelyn a hand for me. Okay, really brief. I know you're sitting here going, wait, he's going to talk now? Um, Just a little bit, I promise, just a little bit. And uh, normally I talk for a lot longer and uh, this is not going to be very long. So if you have a Bible... Mark chapter 1, because um, I think this is a great way to find, to f- kind of wrap up what Evelyn had to say. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. This is a, a great story right off the bat that Mark tells about the life of Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I ultimately believe that every single one of us deals with rejection. We have 
in us um, a trigger, um, things in us that we don't want people to uh, reject us, and, and we deal with it in different levels. And so I think we can all relate in some way to Evelyn. But in Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 40, the story goes like this. A man with leprosy came to him, and that's Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I know some of you are probably sitting here going, well, uh, Evelyn didn't have leprosy, so why are we talking about this? Um, just trust me, hang in there. This guy comes to Jesus and he begs him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy was not just a disease. It, it was actually, there's no more disease, fear, uh, disease feared most than leprosy. I mean, this was the thing, uh, you did not want this. And I know we don't see it very much at all in our, uh, in our world, in, our, in at least our part of the world. But what would happen, not to get totally graphic on you, but nodules would begin to form on your nose and your forehead. I mean, people see your face. And so once those form on you, people start wigging out. They start writing you off and rejecting you and keeping their distance from you. Then over time, these nodules would ulcerate. They would, they would I'm going to throw up too, but uh, they would leak and pus and it just gets wrong. And then you begin over time, it's a contagious thing, you begin over time to waste away. Your hands and your feet would actually start to shrivel up. You couldn't walk as much. You can't grab things as much. Everything becomes a little bit more debilitating. And then your fingers and your toes would fall off. And in about a decade into it, you would die. That's what would happen to you. But that's not really the worst thing that would happen to you. Because the other parts are even worse. I mean, you were unclean. You were looked down on. You were rejected. You were cast out. You couldn't work. You couldn't participate in what the Jewish community participated in. And if you walked within 50 feet of another Jewish person, you would have to announce the fact that you were there by yelling, unclean, unclean. I mean, try that when you go to work tomorrow. Try it. Give it a shot. See, like walk down 16th Street Mall and just announce the biggest thing in your life that would cause people to reject you. It, you. You'd have a good time doing that. So you were cut off. You were cut off from society. Um, you were also cut off, if you were a leper, from the presence of God because you couldn't go to the synagogue uh, and worship. And unless, unless you ha- found favor with a synagogue ruler, leader, or priest, or somebody who would sneak you in. There's actually uh, writings to tell us that they would they would sometimes sneak a leper in before anybody was around, and they would have to hide. They would have to stand behind a black curtain until the whole service was over, and then when everybody left, they could leave. And if you wanted to to experience the presence of God, that was the only way you could do it. You were basically the living dead. Is what you were if you were a leper. Your life was just riddled with rejection. I actually had the word oozing there, but I just didn't think it was appropriate. So Jesus begs, this guy begs Jesus on his knees. He, he begs me, he says, Jesus, 
heal me. If you're willing, heal me. And Jesus, it says at verse 41, was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. He says, I'm willing, he said, be clean. Now, a lot of times we just skip over that one. We, we think that's, oh, that's nice. Jesus, Jesus healed the guy. But how did he heal him? He physically touched him. And to physically touch a leper as a rabbi, you know this. That's scandalous. That's like, that doesn't happen. That's like, that's, in medical terms, it's like sharing a needle with an AIDS patient. It is like the most intense thing. It, this, it's a disaster for a rabbi to do this. An absolute disaster. And, and so this says so much about God. This says so much about what God is like towards people who are really broken. It says so much about God's heart for the people on the edges of society, on the margin. It also says a lot about people who have been passed over by religious people, right? But here's what this also tells us. It tells us a whole bunch about God's heart for you because there's this subconscious part of each one of us that think that we have to get our act together in order to come to God. It's like saying that you need to get healthy before you go see the doctor. It's like saying you got to clean your house before someone comes over to professionally clean it, right? Which I don't know what that would be like, but. And there's this myth, okay? There's this myth out there, and you hear it sometimes. Um, People say this line, and it always drives me crazy. God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. Have you ever heard that? I'm about to make fun of it. Because if Jesus is God, and Jesus is this picture of, of, of a God who shows up, that seeks out sin, sinful people, broken people, people who aren't deserving to be in on the religious stuff. So if this is not true of Jesus, then this is not true of God because uh, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the visible representation of God. So immediately leprosy left him and he was cleansed. This this idea that Jesus' touch of the leper didn't infect Jesus, but it cleansed the leper. It's a straight-up miracle. A guy who had to have been just hideous. Not only in sight, but in smell and in, in just everything that Israel didn't want to be, this man was. And in, in a moment, it looks like he's a spa. And in verse 43, it says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. I always love these Jesus warnings are just like, what? Uh, He says, see that you don't tell this to anybody, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, there's so much going on here, but in two chapters in Leviticus, there's this whole thing about being a leper and what you got to do and where you got to go. And as far as we know, there's only like a couple instances in the Old Testament that this ever uh, that leprosy was ever cleared or, or, or cured. And so uh, there's this, this whole thing that's happening behind the scenes. And in verse 45, it says, Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, 
but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You know what's interesting about that? Is the guy who had to stay outside in the lonely places ends up getting healed, and the guy who heals him ends up having to stay outside in the lonely places. Something about what happens when Jesus enters our life, that he takes on those things in our life, okay, that actually kept us away. Now, Evelyn's story is, you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, this story of Jesus and Evelyn. And, because it's interesting to me that the kind of stuff that Jesus is up to and the kind of things that, that Jesus does in people to stir in them, to, to, to change them, to transform them, are, are the, actually the things that we're drawn to. We're drawn to Evelyn's story. Because Evelyn's story is the story of being transformed. I mean, when you think about your life, and you think about at some point, I'm going to learn, I'm going to have an awakening, I'm going to have a spiritual moment, I'm going to have an aha light bulb moment about who God is. I mean, some of you are like, I've already experienced all that in my life. I'm, I'm just riding this thing out. No, God's got so much more to do in you, through you, for you. And, and to think that you could go to your church through your whole life, you could serve, you could read your Bible and all those things, and then at the age of 69 be more broken and more free than any other time in your life. It's just, that's, that's the Jesus I want to follow. And so when we talk about these things in our lives that we don't know that are there. A few, uh, few months ago, I think I brought up to you guys a little graphic. We're going to show it to you again on the screen. It's called the Jahari Window. Some of you are around for this, you're going to be bored, but others of you, this might be new to you. But there are things in our lives, and this is put together by two psychologists, uh, one guy named Joseph and one guy named Harrington, and so they made it the Jahari window. I know you're really interested to know that. But um, how this works is there's things in my life that open self that both you as people that I know and my friends know about me, and there's things about me that I know about me, right? I mean, there's just... That's just pretty clear, right? There's things in your hidden self that you know. There's things that you know about yourself, okay? But others don't. And you would prefer to keep that a secret, right? There's probably like maybe one or two of you that have this going on, uh, right? Okay, glad you're with me. Then there's this third part of you, this blind self. You know those things that you uh, don't really know about yourself, but other people recognize, you know, like like how you get angry at certain times or when you're hungry, and you just didn't know that until someone brought it up to you. They're like, you're really angry when you're hungry. You know, little things like that. And now you know it, so you can move it over to open self, but, but there's things that you don't know about yourself, but other people do, and they're afraid to talk to you about it. But what about those areas of your life that are so hidden and so inside and so buried in who you are that no no spouse could know it, no perceptive spouse spouse could know it. You don't know it. It's just not even there. It's it's that thing that Evelyn experienced when she realized finally for the first time that she had been dealing with fear of rejection her whole life. Let me ask you something. What would happen if you found out what that was? What would happen if you found out what those things were? 
I mean, in some ways, let me just say this. It might sound so bad, but the leper kind of had it easy. That sounds kind of jacked up to say, right? But, I mean, his stuff was right there on the surface. Everybody knew what his deal was, what kept him away, what burdened him. But the rest of us are walking around like we're behind a black curtain. The rest of us are dealing with something inside of us that we can't explain. And there's something, there's something in us that's broken, and God wants to open it up. You know, the interesting thing, when you talk about people being transformed, it actually creates something in you to go, man, I want to know what that's like. Like, I really don't know if I'm living in freedom right now, and I want to know what that's like to, to really live in freedom. You know, when you read Mark 1, um, when you read these passages and Jesus heals a a guy who's possessed by a demon and you got all this stuff and you're like, man, there's a couple of different ways you could look at this. Verse 1 is this. You could say, man, Jesus is a really nice guy. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's a nice guy. I mean, he's helping people that need help. And you think to yourself, well, Jesus is kind of like, you know, a random acts of kindness guy. And, And maybe he's a pay it forward guy. And he's the guy that, you know, buys your crappy coffee ahead of you in the crappy coffee line? You know that guy? But Mark 1 is not about that. Mark 1 is also not about Jesus, uh, this, this idea that Jesus is God, even though we believe Jesus is God. This isn't really the whole point of Mark 1. The point of this is something that M.T. Wright calls the sign of the inbreaking of God. That this is a sign of the inbreaking of God. That when we hear Evelyn's story about overcoming rejection and that God can actually love her deeply, fully, completely, and how she's experiencing life out of that, that is a sign of the inbreaking of God. And these stories in Mark, the, all the stuff that the Messiah is supposed to do when the Messiah shows up, freedom, renewal, healing. That's what God's world looks like, right? It looks like freedom from the demonic. It looks like Jesus healing your mother-in-law, which is a story. I'm not just bringing that up for whatever. It looks like Jesus touching a social outcast. This is what society looks like when God is in charge. That's what it looks like. And just because you are here in church doesn't mean you have your act together, right? I mean, right? I mean, just look at Randy. I had to do it. Everybody makes fun of you every week, so the teaching team's just all against you. So I'm just... That's <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're going to get us all back in one sermon, right? Some of you are like the leper. You're hiding behind a black curtain just waiting for this to all be over this morning. That's what you're doing. You're here, but you're hiding behind a black curtain. There is something keeping you away. And it's funny to me that all these stories that Jesus and Mark and stuff, it's all this stuff that takes place in synagogues. It's all the stuff that takes place right around church. (laughs) Like, like that's where the most messed up of us are. Can we just be honest? You're not here because you have it all together. 
And if you think you do, we have to have another conversation. So all that to say is we have, if we had a way to count up all the pain, all the abuse, all the addiction, all the dysfunction, all the betrayal and guilt and shame in this room, it would be nausea. It would. All the rejection, all the hurt. And maybe you're here today and you need a sign. You desperately need a sign that God's breaking in. You need it. And you hear Evelyn's story and you're like, I want that. And so what we want to do is just really something simple today. Yeah, this is the end. You can can rejoice. We want to do something simple today. We're going to um, take our offering and we're going to have one more song. But after that last song, and we, later on we have a, a little bit of a, a meeting to get to, but when the song's over, if you want prayer, if you need another human being who loves Jesus to pray over you, to comfort you in prayer, if you just need to feel the inbreaking of God here right now, will you come forward after this next song? And some of our leadership will be here and the pastors and, and, and we just want to pray with you. That's it. We just want to pray with you.